the placement that we've come to today, the blessing that's ours to assemble for worship as we are this Sunday morning, it truly reminds us this first day of the week is a very special time. It is one highlighted in the pages of the New Testament as the Lord's Day, Revelation 1, verses 8 through 11. And in that statement, we of course come today to realize we lift high the banner of God's truth as we open His Word and let it guide us in our worship and the things of which we speak. You may have noticed the title today has to do with God in details. And the lesson text that Brother Vestal read, taken from Exodus 25, verse 40, is a passage that maybe has been one that could serve as well as many others to take us into a discussion of our topic today. I trust that as we study about God in details, we'll be reminded of not only some very pressing truths, but it will stand greatly opposed to much of what we might well face in the religious world today. This introductory slide is one that brings some of the main ideas before us that we'll develop in some detail. 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. You may notice a part of that passage, it says, that the man of God might be perfect. Now that whole clause rests upon that which preceded it, namely, that the Word of God is God-breathed. That, in fact, brings some questions. How should then one look upon various portions of the Word of God? It said all Scripture, not most of it, not some of it, not the majority of it. It said all of it. And yet, as you and I open the 66 Bible books and look into the 1,189 chapters, we find some of the chapters have a lot of details in it. Isn't it true that sometimes individuals, folks, might choose to look upon details and sometimes in a very different way? You'll notice near the bottom of that slide leads me to this comment. There are some people who are rather detail-oriented. They want things to be done the way that it's supposed to be done. Even if it's inconvenient, even if it requires a great deal of work and a great deal of investment, they understand that the details are significant. But there are other people who aren't that way. Maybe you've known folks like that who perhaps say, well, the details, really, do they matter? Does it really matter that much? Well, today, what do we ask? How does God feel about details? Does He look upon them with some signification? Are they significant or are they not? This opening slide, in fact, will be one that we're going to revisit some of the features of the Old Testament, at least as a foundation for our consideration this morning, and it will surround that interesting place of worship called the tabernacle. Now, I suspect that most of us have at least this appreciation of what the tabernacle was. It was this movable tent that the children of Israel could carry with them as they journeyed through the wilderness, and they would erect it, and that's where they'd worship. I would submit to you, if that's all we ever think about concerning the tabernacle, we probably ought to reread Exodus chapters 25 through 40. The book of Exodus has 40 chapters. The first 25 of those chapters discuss the peoples leaving Egypt. The plagues come upon them by direction of God. They finally are, of course, enjoying the liberty that occurred at the Red Sea. 
And then they arrive at Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up on the mount, and he gets these commandments. But the last 15 chapters of Exodus, chapters 15 through, rather, chapters 26, 25 through 40, are chapters that describe some details. In fact, let's step through some of the matters on this slide in the next one. Let's begin it like this. You may notice that it's true that when they arrived at Mount Sinai, that God gave them what we often call the Ten Commandments. And those were certainly significant, very important. But might you and I keep in mind, as as those commandments were given, those were not the only things that God shared with the people through Moses. He shared with them about they were supposed to construct a tabernacle. He shared with them some things connected to that construction project. And He shared with them some rather notable particulars that went with it. I certainly won't read those 15 chapters, but could I just point this out to you? When it came to that tabernacle, maybe this picture will at least begin consideration. He gave them particulars about the dimensions of this tabernacle about the way in which it was to face. He gave them particulars about what each of the walls were to be made of and what the foundation for each wall was to be. He gave them information about the nature of how the organization inside it was to take place. Now here's just a rather general picture of an outer courtyard together with the tabernacle proper that was inside it. This next slide will go even a little bit further by pointing out this. Some of the details, I suppose, to some may well have seemed rather unimportant. For instance, there were various things stated, and I've just selected a few. The number of curtains God specified and the number of latches on those curtains was pointed out had to be 50. Couldn't be 49, couldn't be 51. And the latches had to be made of brass. Couldn't be gold, silver, iron, or anything else. He told them where on the curtains those latches were to be placed. The foundations for the boards had to have exactly two tenons, and it had to be of silver. Couldn't be iron, gold, brass, anything else. So brass had to be used for certain parts. Silver had to be used for other, and exactly the number was specified. Not only that, the board that went through those vertical boards, God told exactly what it was to be made of, what it was to be overlaid with, and how long it was to be. You couldn't cut it an inch too short, couldn't leave it an inch too long. Not only that, the furniture that was inside it, God told exactly what pieces of furniture there were to be and where they were to be placed. They weren't even allowed to place the furniture where they might have thought would be better. And the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, exactly its length and the nature of its constitution was set forth. They weren't allowed to choose their own fabric. What was inside the most holy place also was rather powerfully organized. This chest that you and I would call the Ark of the Covenant, it would look like a box, of course, but its length, its breadth, and its height was all specified. They weren't allowed to pick it. The manner in which it was to be carried was also set forth. It was to be carried with rings. And those rings, again, God told them where to place them and what they were to be made of. 
and what was to fit through the rings to carry it. I'm not done. The priests who allow who are allowed to enter this, are you aware of the fact that they were told what to wear? Even down to the hem of the garment. The hem had to have on it pomegranates interspersed with bells, and the pomegranates had to be of blue. I hope we're all impressed. God specified a lot of things connected to this tabernacle. I suspect that there were some Israelites who might have asked, Is this really important? Does it really matter? Surely if we come, that's enough. Surely if we merely assemble and gather, Oh, maybe we'll bring our offering of a ram or a bullock. Surely that's enough. By now you've probably seen His construction project for the tabernacle was exceedingly detailed. Let's go back to that previous slide, if we might, and ask the questions at the bottom that surely would be reasonable. Were all of these details important? Did they really matter? By the same token, what about today? Do details today matter? Does it have anything to do with proper service to God? Or is the major features of belief in the heart enough? Well, we'll skip over these particular pictures again because we've seen them, and now we're going to ask, were those details important? I've listed at the top of that slide some of the features that I just quickly mentioned in passing a moment ago. But would you note again verse number 40 of Exodus 25? The God of heaven said to Moses, and look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. It's as if God had previously informed Moses of the pattern, and now He reminds him, you make sure that you do everything according to the pattern showed you in the mount. May I point out, that'll not be the last time that God gives that reminder. In chapter 28 and later in some other chapters, He will say the same thing again. Make sure, Moses, that you follow the pattern. Make sure you're mindful of the, of the details. Make sure that you do not suppose that they are insignificant. On that slide, then I've asked you to notice a few questions that I suppose could have been asked then. Questions that even as in reading it, you and I might still ask of ourselves. I mentioned that the sockets were to be of silver a moment ago underneath each one of the boards. So maybe in light of the metals that they had accessible, surely you and I would agree silver is not a strong metal. Wouldn't it have been better to make the foundation out of some alloy of iron? I'm sure anybody would have thought maybe that'd be better. Suppose somebody had done that. Would God have been pleased? Or let's try another question. You might well remember, as that slide points out, that the high priest had to wear a breastplate. And on that breastplate were twelve jewels, aligned three jewels in four rows. And God said what metals, or rather what jewels, were to be in each row. I've asked you to notice on the slide, He had said that a diamond is one of the elements in row two. You and I seemingly like diamonds. We find them shiny and sparkly. Suppose we place the diamond in row one, would it have mattered? Don't you know it would have mattered? God said where He wanted the diamond. He said where He wanted the emerald. 
He said where he wanted the jacinth and the other. He didn't let the people select it. The details were rather notable, weren't they? Not only that, the table of showbread was commanded, you see, in that holy place to be placed on the north. What if you placed it on the south? Would it have mattered? Would it have made any difference? At this point, maybe we've had enough of those kind of questions. Note, some of the people of Israel apparently didn't think the details mattered much. Do you remember that God had said more than once, you do not work on the Sabbath, period. He had said that at least three times in the book of Exodus, and then in the book of Numbers, He said it again. And yet, there was a man gathering sticks in Numbers 25 and Numbers 15. He had gone out on the Sabbath day and gathered some sticks. Question, that may seem like a detail. I could probably gather enough sticks in five minutes to do what I want. Could I just do that and leave the rest of the day to do what God commanded? I think we remember what happened to the man that gathered the sticks. He was stoned to death because God said, stone him. He knew what I said, and I said what I meant. Put the man to death. May I suggest to you the details meant something. The details were important. The man knew what they were and should have abided by them. Moses learned a lesson then too. Remember when that man was first caught gathering the sticks? They arrested him, waiting for God to inform them what was to be done with him. It was then God that gave the order, put that man to death. Isn't it true then that the details, at least in that way, were certainly rather significant? But on that slide, I've asked you to note another one. We mentioned a moment ago that Ark of the Covenant was that chest of given dimensions that God had stated and that God had specified it was to be moved only by Levites carrying it with poles covered with iron through those rings. So you couldn't scoot it on the ground. You couldn't carry it on a cart. You couldn't carry it in any other way than what God said. That's what He meant. But later, of course, the people of Israel tried to move it differently than that. You and I remember what happened. Several people lost their life. We find that God directly brought characteristics of a strong element of warning against them, and even King David recognized the error of what had been done. 1 Chronicles 15, verses 2 and 3. The details were important. Now today, isn't it true? You and I would think, well, what difference does it make? I can sure move it a lot more easily by letting some donkey pull it while I put it on a cart. Doesn't matter what you and I think. Didn't matter what they thought. All that mattered is what God said. And He had said the way He wanted it done. I would also point out that by the time that ark was overlaid with gold, both inside and out... It was not light. You shouldn't think you were carrying some 15-pound box. That Ark of the Covenant likely weighed a couple of hundred pounds at least. And men had to move it with sticks through its staves, through those rings, because that's what God said. By now, perhaps the third observation might be in order. Those details were so important in regard to the tabernacle that God especially equipped two men 
with a talent in order to construct everything the way that they had been told to construct it. Their names were Bezalel and Aholiab. And we read about them in the later chapters of Exodus. God says, I have called Bezalel and Aholiab and equipped them with workmanship and with skill so that they can oversee this work exactly as I have given it. Doesn't that also indicate that the details were significant? So much so that God especially prepared gentlemen who could oversee the work so that it could be done right. We now come to Exodus 40, verse 16, and this interesting statement is now made. It's a statement that rings with greatness and with strength because it reads like this. Thus did Moses, according to all that the Lord commanded him, so did he. Now that statement isn't lengthy, but doesn't it speak volumes? All of these details and all of these particulars that God had given, Moses oversaw that they were carried out exactly as God said. Could we at least summarize this by saying the details were important then. They were exceedingly important then. And so these summary statements now appear. Though we'll not read all of those statements I've asked you to notice, a number of times there's a repeated statement that occurs over the course of these closing chapters of Exodus, as the Lord commanded Moses. You may read them in Exodus 40, verses 19, 21, 23, 25, 27, 29, and 32. And you may notice each one of the separating verses describes a different element in the tabernacle's construction, and all of it was done according to the details, to the specifications that God had given. The book of Exodus closes in a delightful way as it describes how pleased God was with the construction of that tabernacle. That it was done according to the plan He had given, and it was done according to the details He had provided. With that stated, now we're ready to transition to today. If God was concerned with details then, is He concerned with them still? Or was that the way He was then? not so much the way He is now. And so what about details now? Well, you and I know we live under the New Testament. We live under the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we come to those 27 New Testament books, isn't it true we still find some details? On occasion, there might well be a number of them. We have every right to ask, is God still concerned with them? And so I've asked a few questions, and no doubt many, many others could have been asked as well. As far as some of the questions on this slide, may I again say that it is not at all unusual for some who, quite frankly, have a religious air about them to be rather unconcerned about details. And so here are some questions. I'm going to begin this by inviting you to notice Hebrews 8, verse number 5. The reason I mention that verse is how significant it is. Do you remember a moment ago when we read the lesson text of Exodus 25? They made everything according to the pattern showed to them in the mount. God told them to make sure to do this. Hebrews 8, verse 5 speaks about the church. That is to say, you and me today. But it does so with this language. I hope you'll be impressed. 
I'll begin reading in verse 4. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve under the example and shadow of, of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. Do you see the significance? The inspired New Testament writer says, we need to remember the fact that that tabernacle was described like this. Moses was told, see that you make everything according to the pattern showed you in the mount. The Hebrew writer applies that to the church and thus comments for all of us, make sure that you live and orchestrate the affairs of the church according to the pattern showed you by the God of heaven. The church hadn't been left to human hands. In many ways, human hands have never touched it. God dictated its government. He dictated its worship. He dictated what it is to be and do. He dictated all of it. We're just privileged by God to serve beneath the character of those presentations. But with regard to that, now some questions. Questions that, of course, will touch the nature of the New Testament revelation. We might well begin this way. Does it really matter if you're baptized in water for the remission of sins? We live in a world where there are quite a few who think, as long as you believe, as long as you have some commitment in your heart to the Lord, surely that's enough. Now the Lord said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Did He mean it or not? Is that the way it is or not? Isn't it true that baptism is an event that will take about five minutes at some point in a person's life? Five minutes is a pretty small amount compared to 70 years, 80 years, 90 years. Is it important? Does it really matter? May I suggest to you, it clearly does. If God was so concerned about the number of rings on the curtains in the tabernacle that He specified the metal of which they're to be made and where they're to be placed, do you think He's concerned about baptism? Many, many times in the New Testament we see baptism presented as an, a necessary thing. Call it a, a detail if you like, but God's concerned about it. It's important. Can't go to heaven without it. Can't be pleasing the sight of God without it. Let's try another one. You might notice that second question. We appreciate the glory of the proper worship to God. Worship in spirit and in truth, John 4, 24. As we pour out our hearts in thanksgiving to God and we participate in those elements in worship, we might pause to ask, does it matter what you do in worship? After all, there are some in the world today who are under the strong impression that so long as you're honest and earnest and enthusiastic and committed, you can do nearly anything in worship you want and God will be happy. That's just absolutely not true. The Old Testament, they couldn't do anything they wanted. They were told what sacrifices to bring, where to bring them, and how often to bring them. They were told the circumstances beneath which they were to be brought, and they were told the way the animal was to be killed, what was to be done with his blood, what was to be done with various elements of its body. All of it was specified. Those details were critical. May I suggest to you... 
worship is exceedingly detailed. You and I are told what to do and how to do it. We cannot substitute anything else. For if we do, we fall beneath the condemnation of Matthew 15. For there didn't Jesus Himself say, They teach for doctrines the commandments of men, and in so doing the worship is vain. And so we dare not ever look upon those supposed details as unimportant. They're critical. And for that reason, one of the acts in which we engage in our worship is singing. May I again say singing. So we don't yodel, we don't whistle, and we don't hum. We sing. Because that's what God said that He expects us to do. But not only that, we don't sing and play. Because that's not what He said. We sing. So you'll never see a band up here on this stage, at least if it's a faithful congregation. You're never going to see a presentation of a harp or an orchestra, an organ, a violin, a banjo, a guitar, or anything else. Because that's not what He said. And that's not in what He's interested. The details of the tabernacle should be forever a reminder to us that God considers details extremely important. And that also is a pattern that, descri- that describes the worship. The third question could well then be this one. In terms of my presence at those worship assemblies, the New Testament at least three times reminds us I'm, spe- I'm expected by God to be here. What if I choose not to be? I'd rather fish today. It's rained for a month. Today's the first pretty day I've had. Surely he'll understand. Surely he doesn't care if I mow the yard today. I'll go tonight. Surely he doesn't care if today I choose to watch a football game. Or what if I attend one in Nashville? After all, the Titans don't play home all the time. May I suggest to you, God does care. And when he said, put the kingdom of God first, Matthew 6.33, that's what he meant. Are you and I putting the kingdom first? Do we be at the services when we can be? We are never given the luxury of choosing not to be here. If I can't be here, that's one thing. I'm never given the luxury of choosing not to be here. So often in the New Testament, that which man may look upon as an insignificant detail, again, because God said it, it's always significant. The next question that you and I might ask, the Lord's Supper of which we're blessed to partake, how often can we do it? There are some people who use the Lord's Supper as a part of their marriage ceremony. A man and a woman will pronounce their vows, and then Lord's Supper be taken, even if it's on Saturday. Is that right? Of course it's not right. Worship service is not a part of, of, I mean, the Lord's Supper is not a part of a marriage ceremony. It's a part of worship to God. And in that connection, in that light, we understand God specified the elements and specified what they signify. And He specified in many ways how we're to partake of it by always discerning the Lord's body. Because if we don't, He said, you drink damnation to your soul. Some may think that's an awfully unimportant detail. God cares what I'm thinking about when I take the Lord's Supper. He sure does. Details are important, aren't they? What about the next question? As you and I give thought to the Lord's Supper, 
What if I take it once a month? A couple of times a year, is that okay? Some religious groups think that's fine. You and I know better because of verses like Acts 20, verse 7. And verses that connect to ones like 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. We understand that every week has a first day. And when that early church gathered in Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, that sets for us that that's the way that God intended us to partake of it. It's no wonder in that lie we could ask other questions. We easily see the New Testament speaks about the church. God intends to have elders. Does it matter who you put in as an elder? It sure does. Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy 3 list in excess of 20 qualifications a man's got to have to be an elder. Did God mean that? Sure He did. And therefore we understand that these things God has specified are not arbitrary and insignificant details. The next question might be this. Can a congregation choose to reorganize its worship? So would our elders have the authority to say, stay home, turn on your computer, we're going to worship virtually today. Would that qualify? We know it won't, based on the reading of 1 Corinthians 14. It simply won't. Our elders do not have that authority. It's God who determined the nature of those first day, assemb- first day of the week assemblies. He hadn't given man the opportunity to change them. He hadn't given man the luxury, if you please, of reorganizing them in any way that's not consistent with the Word of God. You might appreciate this final one. As you and I look upon the passages in the Word of God, whether they describe worship or, yea, anything else connected to our modern life before the eyes of the Lord. So are we free to take a passage of Scripture and say, this is what it means? That is to say, interpret it however we want, to fortify some idea that I or you may have. You know, that's pretty easy to do, isn't it? to find some passage that we can take in some way to back up what we would like to be true. But you realize the Bible can't be rightly interpreted that way. God again meant what He said. Under the Old Testament era, they, when it came to the tabernacle, were not in position to say, well, I know you said this, but couldn't I have interpreted it this way? That wasn't allowed. God had given them His commandments, and today He's given us, through the Word of God, the details consistent with His will and the details that you and I should follow to live pleasingly in His sight. It is quite a blessing, isn't it, then to appreciate the Bible provides for us that which God wishes for us to know. Details do matter. They always have. We could have listed so many more examples today, couldn't we? We could have gone back prior to the tabernacle. What about the days of Noah? Did the construction of the ark matter? What if he had put another floor or two on it? What if he had not pitched it the way God said? What if he added more windows? What if he'd added another door or two? We get the idea. God even told him what wood to use. Have you ever thought about the nature of the wood God said to use in building the ark? 
God said, go for wood, but Noah could have said, there's a lot of other wood, a lot more accessible than that. Can't I use something else? No one ever asked that question. Today in wisdom, you and I should never ask either, God, did you really mean it? God, are you really sure that's a, that is significant? Because the fact God said it, everything He said is significant. Let's close our lesson today like this. We have looked this morning at some passages to remind us about the details found in the Bible. And we've reminded ourselves that God is concerned with details. He always has been. Whether it be Old Testament or whether it be New, details... If God said them, really, one shouldn't even look upon them as a detail. If He said it, it's pretty important. It's significant, and one's eternity will hang upon it. When it comes to the New Testament today, whether it be the plan of salvation, we mentioned baptism, but we could easily have asked, is repentance needful? Of course it is. But not because you and I think so, because God said so. Is confession important? Oh, of course it is, but not because you and I think so, because God said so. That can, in fact, that idea reappears in so many connections, doesn't it? If God said it, it is significant. Although men may on occasion look upon details as that which can be left for no consideration. God doesn't care about details, some men will say. There's going to come a day they're going to realize they were wrong about that. And by our prayer, hopefully, and activities, maybe they'll realize it sooner than later. Details mean everything. Details are important. And today, if there's someone in this assembly and you're not right before God, won't you do what the Master said so that you can be? As one who's never become a Christian, believe with all your heart Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of the sins in your life. Make confession of them and be baptized for the remission of sins. You will feel so wonderful upon completing that because God will instill within you an appreciation by virtue of the Spirit with regard to the Word and every sin you will have ever committed will be forgiven. Now from that time forward, live faithfully. Put the Lord first, put His kingdom first, strive to do that which He says in every context, in every way. When you stumble, and you will, make it right. Say to others, if that's needful, how sorry you are, and ask their forgiveness. But always ask God to forgive you, and come before Him as He has commanded. If your sins are known in a public way, others need to know about your change in mind. They need to know about your repentance and your presentation before them, acknowledging that sin and asking them to pray upon your behalf will be not only important, it'll be needful, according to James chapter 5, verses 16 to 20. Today, if we could be of some help as you give thought to the Lord's concern for details, we want you to know how much He loves you and how much He has given all of us in His Word what we need to do to make sure to please Him. And today, this song of encouragement has been selected. If we could be of help to you in some way, won't you come while together we stand and sing?